0: If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. I love storytelling. Most stories, no matter how old or what they're about, usually have two things in common, love and suffering. Why? Because love and suffering are universal. Everyone on earth has experienced one or both of these human emotions, and many times they go hand in hand. Actor Andrew Garfield once beautifully described the grief he carries for his deceased mother as his unexpressed love for her, even though he told her every day just how much she meant to him. Grief and love and suffering take many forms in our lives, whether that's the hole left by the loss of a loved one, or a broken heart from an ended relationship, or even more subtle like a rejection from a job or university or having to do another load of dishes or whatever. It comes in many, many forms, is never tangible, but always felt and felt deeply. Sometimes, It feels so deep, we fear we might never see the light of day again. And as hard as it is to hear this in the midst of it, sometimes we haven't been buried under the grief. We've been planted. Today, I'm joined by Youth Ministry Coordinator and Spiritual Director, Chris Wood, to help me unpack how our faith can act as a life preserver and why God allows bad things to happen in our lives. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the program and kind of dig into this really heavy topic. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Well, my name is Chris Wood. I am the uh, youth minister at St. Joe's Catholic Church on East York. Um, I've only been there since April, but previous to that, I was the facilities manager at Holy Spirit in Palmyra and the part-time youth minister at St. John's. So I do work full-time for the church and youth ministry, but I'm also a spiritual director for the diocese. I went through a three-year formation program here, and I've been doing it on my own uh, for a couple years now. And there's actually another class that's that's meeting here regularly too. So in another couple years, hopefully we'll have another batch of spiritual directors out there to help people. I'm also married uh, to a wonderful woman named Megan. Uh, we don't have any children, but we do have pets and things like that, um, and we live in New York area near St. Joe's. Uh, I'm originally from Maryland and moved up here when I met my wife and we got married and stuff like that and been here ever since doing this kind of stuff. So it's been cool. That's
0: awesome. It sounds like you have a pretty rich life.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It, it's busy. You know, you you start working for the church and it's really good. You know, I started out just part-time at St. John's and at the time I was working for a contractor. I have a management and contracting, like construction background. So um I started there part-time just on a, like as soon as I became Catholic, I started that job. Like I was actually in RCIA when I asked for the job, when it became available and everything just worked out. And literally like days after I became officially confirmed, I started the job as a youth ministry uh, coordinator at St. John's, which was neat, but After doing that for a couple of years, Father Anthony Dill was the vicar there at the time. And when he went to Holy Spirit to be the pastor there, he asked me to come on as the facilities and maintenance coordinator, just because of my background. So I worked there for almost five years. And then at St. Joe's York, uh, you may know who Scott Anthony is. He was the youth minister there for 27 years. Um, He, after all those years, was offered a position back in his home state of Ohio to work for Catholic Family Land, that apostolate out there. So he, um, at the exact time he was discerning that job, uh, my wife and I were actually discerning my need to go down to just working for one church and sort of simplify things. So everything kind of lined up perfectly at the time. And here I am doing that now since April. So full-time ministry, which has been really great.
0: So you mentioned going through the RCIA program, becoming Catholic. What drew you to the Catholic Church, and how did you become a spiritual director because
1: of it? Okay. my The initial story of me becoming Catholic is a very typical one where I, I met a Catholic woman who I uh, fell in love with and then got married to. But it wasn't a shoe in thing for me. It wasn't like, oh, she's Catholic, I'll be Catholic, because I've been a practicing Christian my entire life. Uh, I'm not Catholic, obviously. I'm a convert, but I... Um, I was Baptist and non-denominational kind of back and forth growing up and then as a young adult I was non-denominational and actually very involved in my church. I went to um before I became Catholic I was a part of a church named Victorious Faith Fellowship in Maryland. I'm originally from Maryland. I was very involved and dedicated and I always was even as a teenager and and even younger than that I was always very involved in church and always enjoyed youth programs and, and whatever there was, I was ushering as a kid and just being a part of church. It always fit me very well. You know, I always say that when I was a kid, we grew up with these really powerful Baptist preachers, right? And they were the people that I looked up to. And I, you know, my my parents will tell you like as a kid, that's kind of what I wanted to do was be one of those Baptist ministers in the suit and the tie punching the pulpit and like getting at you, you know, hellfire and damnation and things like that. So that's why I say all that, because it wasn't some easy thing for me to become Catholic. I, you know, when I met Megan, because she's a convert as well, she had converted a couple of years before we met. And I had the idea that she would just come back because the Victorious Faith Fellowship is awesome church and it's very vibrant and it's great. It is it's a beautiful church. But I went to mass with her for the first time and her parents just try to be nice. And because and, I'd never really been to a Catholic mass before. I'd been to one Catholic wedding. Um, but that was it. Um, so I went to mass on a Sunday morning and I've been to mass ever since. I think I've missed a couple cause of being sick and maybe a snow event. But other than that, I've been coming ever since for a little while we went to both churches, but it, it became clear pretty quick that there was something special in the Catholic church. And I had to get past some things because it is a big switch, you know, like, but the depth of it, is is what I noticed very quickly. And what helped was I'm not afraid to ask questions and I'm not afraid to like literally question things kind of not aggressively, but like be straightforward. Like this doesn't make sense to me. Like these are the things I was told that are wrong with Catholicism and ask those things. And and all of my questions were answered well and it took time, but I went through that process. And like I said, the, um, my parents came into the church a couple of years after that. They actually came over which was cool. And my dad had a very similar experience to me where he said it felt like things that never really made sense as a non-Catholic Christian, all those little missing pieces that we kind of just didn't think about were filled in, you know, like salvation and then things like that, like how that works, how you are actually saved and things like that. Because growing up, you, you know, in the non-denominational churches, especially everything was based on being born again and saved and like, you're good to go forever. And the fact that if you weren't saved, you were going to hell, which in the back of your mind, you kind of always think, well, that's not really fair, you know, because not everybody's exposed to Christianity. So that was one of the big things that was answered when salvation, true salvation was explained to me in the Catholic Church. I'm like, oh, well, that makes way more sense. And, And it was a lot of things like that over time and also seeing the actual history of the church and how you can trace everything back to Jesus and realize that while the Catholic Church isn't perfect, you know from the people standpoint over history, like the actual church itself, what she is, is actually the church that Jesus started and is, is perfect. So I think just that experience really helped that took time, but becoming a spiritual director, um, that happened. That was another thing that like, I didn't expect because I didn't even know what spiritual direction was. So I had been the youth minister for a little while and I had just started working at Holy spirit. Um, I don't know how long I was there, but not for very long, maybe a year. And Father Dill approached me and said, you know, they're starting this three-year program for spiritual direction. Um, and I think that, and I don't know what words he used, but I, I think that you should consider it. And I said, what spiritual direction? And come to find out, most Catholics ask that same question. What I is am one of them. <laughs> so um, uh, one of the things that's been very beneficial to me in the Catholic Church as well is the fact that I've met people that I trust like the priests in my life, some religious and lay people. Like there's people that I've met that I can trust, including my own spiritual director who I've, I've been meeting with for a long time now. So um, the people in my life that are like, I just trust them. I know that I should investigate. So when he mentioned the program to me, I was like, well, I should look into it because he suggested. And I did. And I met um I met with Carol Morell and Sister Gerilyn and did an interview and was kind of nervous because it was – you know, I didn't really know much about it. And I felt like I was only Catholic for a few years at that point. So I didn't really feel like I was qualified. So I went into it kind of like trying to justify myself, which looking back now seems kind of funny. But I interviewed for the program, told my story, and um, and then I ended up in the program. And it's a, it's a it's not a program that you just work your way through. It's a constant discernment process. And they help to discern your calling to this ministry. So not everybody who starts the program finishes it. So it was just a pretty intense three-year journey of a lot of reading and praying and working with my own director and going through some bumps and bruises spiritually and in life and stuff that sort of helped shape me throughout the process. And and here I am now doing it on my own um, as a spiritual director, which has been really cool.
0: That sounds really cool. Yeah. And I love that you felt comfortable questioning and not challenging per se but definitely definitely questioning because i feel like see i was born and raised catholic Mm -hmm. and there's i always felt like there was this like you don't ask like this this is it this is how it is like just go with the flow like just stop asking questions. but it's so healthy Mm -hmm. to ask questions like and to understand and be able to have that deeper relationship because
1: yeah
0: you now know like it there's there's a empowerment Mm-hmm. in knowing and being able to be closer. So I love hearing that you were able to do that and that your parents converted as well. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. My brother's come into the church as well. He married into a Catholic family, um, but he never converted. So slowly my family has been coming into the church, which has been really cool. I didn't, I, I, I had a feeling my mom would convert because she's like every mom just wants to sit in one big pew with her, all of her kids and grandkids lined up. Um, But my dad was is is very you know him and I are very much alike to where we're like it it took a lot of questions and a lot of things, but it was just funny because his experience was so similar to mine with the questions he had and his experience, like I said, of things just filled in like gaps filled in and what we sort of just took for granted as a, I don't like the word Protestant so much as I just say non Catholic Christian, but, right? Because uh, the non denominational churches are are so far off from that. But um, yeah, it was it was it was pretty big when my dad came in and it was just cool. But it's been, like I said, all this time, you know, it hasn't been easy. There's been hard stuff as well, but the spiritual journey has been very powerful and awesome since I came in because of the depth. And that's the reality of the Catholic church is the deep waters, you know, the non-Catholic churches aren't bad necessarily, but I think of them sort of as the shallow end of the pool. At least you're in the pool. But when I became, when I became Catholic and really dived into spirituality and, all the catholic teachings like i realized like this is this is deep this is where the real the real stuff is that helps us get through everything and do everything we're supposed to do to become saints so it's been incredible
0: that's a really powerful image of of a pool yeah and I, I really appreciate that
1: yeah.
0: so everyone has had their own experiences with grief and suffering many of which are deeply personal are there any experiences you feel comfortable sharing with us today
1: Absolutely. I'm a pretty open book with these things, especially as a youth minister. I I use my testimony a lot and doing talks and things. So I'm pretty open. Yeah. So I would say um, the biggest event in my life that I guess would make me qualified to talk about suffering is um, I am married to a wonderful woman named Megan, but she's not my first wife. So I got married when I was 24, I believe I lose track of dates at this point, but I was about 24. I got married to a uh, woman named Brittany. She was a couple of years younger than me, Brittany Nicole. And she had cystic fibrosis, which I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a um, genetic condition that affects the lungs and the intestines. And, and again, I'm not an expert on it. So some people may know way more than I do, but mainly affects the lungs, digestive system, stuff like that, uh, buildup of mucus, things like that. And when I met her, she was not very affected by it much. You know, she would go to the doctor for, down at Hopkins, they have a special clinic for cystic fibrosis. And she would go every three months and get tests and medic, medication checks and things like that. And, you know, it wouldn't really affect her much. So, you know, we dated, we were engaged, got married, bought a house, you know, did that whole American dream thing, got a dog. You know, but as soon as we got married, because we dated for a year, we're engaged for a year, and then we were married. And as soon as we got married, the health stuff started to decline. Cystic fibrosis affects everybody differently. Some people are affected way worse, some are a lot less. She was kind of in the middle when, I guess, when we met. But things just started to progressively get worse. Every checkup, her lung function was lower. She was having trouble with just a multitude of things. And over time, it just progressively got worse um She wasn't able to work after a while um after a while, she was had to go on oxygen, which for a girl who was twenty five was most difficult for anybody but you know this young, vibrant young lady all of a sudden having to walk around carrying an oxygen machine and things like that it it was hard, and she just was more and more physically limited because when your lung function goes you know, pushing 50% or so. I mean, it's like, imagine walking around doing everything, only breathing in halfway. So she just became more and more physically limited, more and more infections, more and more trips to the hospital to have IVs. And eventually it just kept getting worse and worse. And, you know, we're praying and hoping for the best. They're talking about lung transplants, which is something that happens to a lot of people with cystic fibrosis. They have to get a lung transplant, which doesn't cure them. It just gives them sort of a fresh start with lungs because the lungs get damaged over time with the with the cf but things progressively just got worse we ended up at hopkins again for another treatment and i didn't know at the time but it was the last she never came home again so she ended up on a cpap type machine that um helped her breathe and things happen very fast in hospitals and if you as well you've had kids so you've been in hospitals i guess you know that Things go quickly and you don't always get information quickly or, or, well, and Hopkins is a great place, but it's huge. So experiences there inpatient weren't always awesome. And I don't blame them again, cause it's a huge hospital and, you know, it's hard to give everybody the attention that they want, but she's on this machine and all of a sudden they come in and they say, um, Mr. Wood, we have to put her on a ventilator now. And I'm like, what do you, you know, it caught, kind of caught me by surprise and her parents and stuff because we didn't you know, we didn't expect that to be such a big leap. And then we go on the ventilator and we're still, you know, you're holding on to every hope you can. And we're like, okay, well, you know, we're working on this lung transplant thing, you know, which is a weird thing because you're waiting for someone to die so she can get lungs, which is a strange thing to pray for in itself. But she goes on a ventilator and that, which was the first time I sort of lost it a little bit, not a little bit. I lost it a lot, but, uh, Cause you walk into that room and see that. And it was, it was very difficult, but she um, went on a ventilator, highly medicated. You know, it's not like in the movies where they just lay there quietly breathing with the machine. Like it's, it's very aggressive and uncomfortable and um, very difficult, but she um, she was on the ventilator and then the doctor comes in and says, you know, we might have to get to the point where we have to make a decision whether or not to leave her on this or not whether to, you know, pull the plug, as they say. And which, again, I'm like, I, two a week ago, we were home thinking we were in the clear. And now all of a sudden, you're telling me out of nowhere, like, I, me, it was me. And again, I'm 26. I'm like, all of a sudden, I have to potentially make this decision. So, you know, long story short, she's in this situation for a while. We actually spent our, th- what would have been our 30 year, what was our three year wedding anniversary with her in the ICU on a ventilator. She kind of came in and out, you know, she was very highly medicated, so she wasn't very lucid, but I was there as much as I could be, you know, I kind of took shifts with her parents and stuff like that. And then there was a day where things were calm and somebody, it was, this was actually interesting because we were, somebody was with her every moment of that whole thing. That's what we wanted to make sure. And there was a moment where everything was calm You know, because again, it's they have to like flush this stuff out and then she convulses like it's pretty it's like I said, it's not like the TV where they're just laying there. It's pretty scary. So her dad was on his way. She was kind of sleeping. We were just kind of relaxing. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go down and and get lunch or something like that. And, you know, her dad's on the way. So I went down and when I came back up, the ICU doctor was there waiting for me. And he just pulled me aside and said, you know, she had a bleed. They're in there trying to resuscitate her, but it's not going to work, but they can't stop until you tell them to come in and stop. So I'm just completely like, I just went down to get a sandwich. Like everything was calm. I thought I was in the clear. Like we were like had hope cause they're like, she's going to work her way back on the lung transplant list. If she can show strength, which she was doing. So we had like this little bit of hope and, uh, you know, I come back up and there he is waiting for me. And I don't remember that doctor's name, but he was incredible. The head of the ICU at the time. And he just, and her dad was there. So we're sitting in this room, like just dumbfounded. But he said, you know, they're in there doing all the resuscitation stuff, but you have to come in and tell them to stop. And there's like nothing they can do. Like it's done. So I walked in the room or walked to the room and I see it it's straight out of that's straight out of a TV show. Like they're pumping, and it's loud, and they're yelling at each other. It's like straight out of an episode of ER, like legit. And uh, I immediately just said stop. I'm like, because again, the doctor who I trusted reassured me, like they're they're not really doing anything. Um, she's gone, so I just said stop, and that was it. So, which was again another, you know, she's I think 24 at the time. I'm 26, and uh, it was just this crazy whirlwind of emotions and everything. And but that was it. And they stopped literally literally as soon as I said stop, they immediately just stopped and backed off. And the ICU doctor came back over to me and said, go back to that room, you know, we'll clean up the situation and everything, because there's like blood and everything. It was, it was pretty hectic. And uh he said, you know, let us get everything cleaned up and you can come back in um with your family and take all the time you need. To say goodbye and all those things, and um, so we did, and went through the whole process of funeral planning, which is horrible because um, you're making these significant decisions in such a state of grief, and you know, just went down that whole journey of 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 all that stuff, you know, funeral and just dealing with everything afterwards, because you know, finances, just practical things like having, you know, because having to figure out the bills and having to figure out what am I going to do now, because you know, we bought this house together and it wasn't cheap. And, you know, while she wasn't able to work at the end, she did get disability benefits. So like I had to quickly make all these financial decisions and and how am I going to survive and just deal with all that, you know? And again, you know, not to sit here forever and tell the super long story, but um, time went by, things worked out. I had to get a roommate um, to help pay the bills and time went by. I met Megan and then um, sort of got to where I am now. Um, I did have a second round, just the second part of the story is um, I did it when I met Megan, you know, we get married and everything um, was going really well again. Moved in together, had this house, dog, all this stuff. Um, And then I had another round of the same fear because uh, Megan was diagnosed with ovarian and endometrial cancer. Now, thank God she's been cured and healed and she's okay. Um, But I did, that's a second part of the suffering in my life is, you know, I had to go through round, round one, I think of it like with Brittany and she passed away. And then I had to go through, um, a whole nother second round of the same fear again, cause you know, they caught Megan's cancer pretty early, but nothing's definite with that stuff. So there was a lot of nerves and fear there for sure. But thank God she, you know, thank God and doctors, the good doctors that she had, at uh, mercy hospital. She's, uh, completely cured and everything, all her scans and stuff have been clear of cancer. So, so that's in a nutshell, uh, you know, that, that's sort of the suffering journey I've been on sort of two parts with these two wonderful women that I've, I've been able to be married to. And and now, like I said, thank God, Megan is, is healed. She did have to have part of her journey was to have a hysterectomy as well. So that comes with its own little bit of suffering too. Not a little bit, but some suffering there for both of us in a way, because, you know we can't have our own our own children, but that's another thing that we've been dealing with. But yeah, that's 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 pretty much the suffering journey that that I've been through in my life.
0: Wow, I'm I'm very sorry to, that that's part of your story, but I'm also very glad that you've been able to take it and turn it into something that you can use to help other people. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that you were so open. Sharing that because it's your, I like that you likened it to boxing as well. Because it's like round one, okay, that's over, and we're going to move on. And round two is going pretty well. And then you get another punch in the gut, yeah, you know, and followed by another punch in the gut. And Mm -hmm. but you keep standing back up, yeah, and that's so important. And it's so good to hear that you're able to again use that, especially with younger kids who Mm -hmm. are dealing with their own internal. problems when i've gone through my own experiences you know it's it's so tough to kind of live a life of faith Mm -hmm. i remember being very angry with god Mm -hmm. going through some of what i went through but having been through some of your own series of tragedies can you unpack for us exactly what you did to keep living a life of faith i mean what you went through is almost impossible to imagine. How did your relationship with God survive after that?
1: Well, it had its ups and downs, uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, after Brittany died, um, again, I was, her and I had started going to that Victorious Faith Fellowship Church together um, and and come to find out there were some people we knew there because we, you know, you go church shopping as a Protestant, right? Like, And when we bought that house and moved in 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 Abingdon, Hartford County, Maryland, we did that. We did what you do, and you church shop. We went into Victoria's Faith Fellowship together and were involved. And the people there got to know Brittany and love Brittany because I remember the pastor and his wife coming and praying over her when things were really bad. That, I lost it totally on that one when they came because Pastor Mike and Pastor Deb, they're they're incredible. They are. And um, that church was a big part of our lives, you know, because one of the things that, you know, those churches get right is the fellowship and the social part of it, where that's sort of, it's not only your church, it's like really is your family and your friends. Like everybody, you know, the people we spent the most time with were a part of that parish. So they all went through it with me because they, although we hadn't been going there very long, Brittany had made a lot of friends, you know, we had made friends, other couples and stuff like that. And so having them in my life was good, but there was a moment that I remember people, sometimes I feel like it sounds like I'm making this up because it sounds cool, but it's not. I I did, I remember this moment where it was, I don't know if it was two weeks after the funeral, not long after. And I woke up on Sunday morning. And again, in the churches I grew up in, like you didn't have to go to church. You were supposed to, but like, it's not like the Catholic church where it's an obligation. You know, we didn't look at it like that. But you should go to church. And uh I woke up and I literally was laying in bed and every morning you wake up after that like that one was one of the hardest things too is like every morning you wake up and you know how you have that moment when you wake up where everything's kind of nice well every morning you wake up and you just like remember everything that's bad. So I woke up on Sunday morning and I think it was 2 weeks after the funeral. And I'm like well I either have to go to church or not like cuz there's people there, they're my friends, they're like my family, you know. And they were so helpful and supportive through everything. And and I had this moment of like, I'm either gonna go to church or I'm not. And I knew if I didn't go, then I wouldn't go I wouldn't go again. So it was kind of like a fork in the road for me. Not kind of, it was. And I still I remember it very vividly because I, I I literally was like nobody would blame me if I didn't go. Like nobody would be surprised, I should say. Like if if I gave up on God, basically in the church. Because everybody knew I was I was involved in churches, like I said, my whole life. He was a kid. But after that, again, I don't think anybody would have been surprised if I just walked away from that. So I was in bed just laying there by myself and I'm like, what am I going to do? And I went. I did. I showed up to church and people were surprised. I walked in and there's this guy always waited by the doors that would hug everybody as you come in. And uh, he gave me the biggest of hugs and everybody was just so... It's what those kind of churches get right. Like you cannot walk in the doors of those kind of churches and not be loved. If you're new, been there for a million years, whatever. And I walked in and just was slammed with, with God's love coming from these people. And uh, that was the right decision because they. I stayed a part of things. I got involved in more stuff because I needed something to do. Um, so I started helping with youth ministry there. Um, I did music stuff because I've been doing praise and worship stuff since I was a kid as well. And I just got involved there and it just kept me grounded, I guess. And again, every day wasn't perfect. I had my moments. I didn't do anything crazy because it's not really my personality to do anything crazy. I mean, I didn't like become an alcoholic or anything. I thank God. <laughs> but um, you know, I had some rough days, rough nights. I had some anger. I had I mean, I went through all those gambits of feelings and things like that that you would expect. But I had this church family and these church people because we did Bible studies during the week at different people's houses. And I always went to those. And I did. Like I said, I had my uh, handful of guys that we were all close. We had started like a tabletop gaming group. So we were doing that before Brittany died. And I kept doing that and just staying plugged into people. So I didn't allow myself to sort of introvert into myself too bad. I had those moments, but um, I just stayed involved in my church. And then, like I said, time went by and I got into online dating and that's how I met Megan. And then everything else happened that I said. But, but the trick was for me to stay grounded was literally to choose to stay grounded in, in my faith, even though, like I said, it wasn't like walking on clouds the whole time. Like I had bad days and I had plenty of bad nights and angry at God, sad, not understanding why, you know, all those things. But and the end of the day, I had these people in my life and this church in my life that just kept me connected to what really mattered. And then it just I kept following that path and and it led me to where I am now, which is which is awesome. So that's again, I wish I had some like awesome saying or like something like God spoke to me in the clouds. or But no, like I literally woke up and had to choose to get my butt out of bed and go to church. And if I knew, I knew it. I know it to this day. If I chose not to, and I was on the cusp, if I chose not to, I wouldn't be sitting here. Like I'd be probably living in that house with a roommate or who knows. I wouldn't be here. So I definitely made the right choice.
0: Absolutely. And it's one of those moments where it's like you might not understand now, but there is something there's yeah. there's and i hate that saying because especially when you're in the midst of grief and they're like god has a reason and like I, this is the last thing i want to hear right now well
1: suffering is always easy to process in hindsight looking back on it i can sit here on this podcast and talk to you about it so easily because it's in the past it's in my it's in hindsight even the the difficulties i just went through not long ago with megan's cancer journey and things like that because that all happened right in the midst of covid um Which just made things even more complicated, but you know that that's the reality of suffering is There's a difference between how we process it in the moment and and how we deal with it in hindsight, but both aspects of that are important. yeah, there's definitely I, I do like when I talk about these things to have that sort of caveat and say, like I can sit here calmly and say these things to you because it's processing suffering in hindsight is is much easier than in the moment when you want to throw things and cry and scream and yell. But those are sometimes valuable things to do as well. Absolutely.
0: So you mentioned making the choice. Mm -hmm. Choose joy is a catchphrase that I see thrown around a lot from coffee mugs to wall art to T-shirts. Word art. Yes. (laughs) As a reminder to always choose joy and look on the bright side and especially when it comes to our daily lives. But why is choose joy sometimes – A misguided though very well intentioned sentiment when it comes to suffering.
1: Because it's lame, it's shallow, it's not accurate. It's not. It's it sounds pretty and it looks good embroidered on a pillow or written on a wall, but it's not the reality of our situation. Like you can't wake up every day and choose I'm gonna be happy all day today. You know, I'm gonna be joyful all day today. Like you can wake up every day and say, I'm gonna try. But we have to remember where true joy comes from. And it comes from the love of God. It comes from our experiences as Christians. It comes, from, it comes from God. You know, God is the source, the only source of true joy. The joy that they're talking about on pillows and wall art is the joy of like worldly success and things like that, you know, like, like surface. It's the shallow end of the pool again, basically. It's like, I'm going to wake up today and choose to be happy. I'm like, yeah, well, what happens when your car breaks down? You know, like, you still going to be happy? Like, what happens when somebody you love gets sick? What happens when you get sick? What happens when whatever? Inevitable things that happen in our lives happen. It's just not going to help you to have that. And you're like, I'm going to choose joy. No, you're going to choose to be upset because you're broken down on 83. And that stinks. (laughs) But. It's just too shallow. And it also dabbles into when you talk this choose joy mentality, you're also what you're touching on is self-help too, as well as sort of the new age self-help thing. And that's also extremely dangerous because it's the word self, right? Like we have to understand as Christians that we can do nothing without God. We can't experience joy without God. We can't experience anything that we're supposed to without God. So this idea that I'm going to wake up and say, I'm going to be joyful today. It's like, no, I can wake up in the day and say, with the grace of God, I'm going to try to be joyful. I'm going to ask God to help me and give me the grace and give me the, the strength to see through the ups and downs of everyday life. I'm not just going to wake up and say, today I'm going to be happy. I'm like, well, maybe. But it just, in my opinion, it takes God out of the situation. That kind of stuff, it just, and relies on the self. Like, you're going to choose it. Like, No. We can't do anything properly without God. And it's as simple as that. So we can choose to follow God every day. We can choose to pray. We can choose to go to church. We can choose to read our Bible. We can choose to participate in whatever Catholic Christian resources we can, um, opposed to other ones. But again, the idea that we can just wake up and choose happiness today is like, it's just too shallow and too fake. It's just not real without God. We need to wake up every day and choose God is what it is, really. Mm. That's what we should put on our pillows. Choose God.
0: I love it. And I, I smell a new marketing strategy coming for oh, you. Yeah, maybe <laughs> i have
1: some bracelets made for the youth There you ministry. go. <laughs> there you
0: go. I love it. So in my research, I was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And in it, St. Paul makes reference to a thorn in the flesh. Now, it's known that he struggled with his eyesight, so it's probably safe to assume that he's referring to a physical ailment, Although we all know that not all ailments are visible, no pun intended. In that verse, he says three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Mm -hmm. for my power is made perfect in weakness. And he continues to say he will now delight in his weaknesses, insults, and hardships. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can we apply St. Paul's philosophy to our struggles And find strength in our weaknesses when it comes to the seemingly impossible load of grief and suffering.
1: This is why I tell everybody they should read the Bible. You know, I'm not sitting here because I didn't get through what I got through because I've read a bunch of deep books on suffering. You know, the only book on suffering I've read is the Bible in all reality and it's good to remember that we're not the only ones going through this is is the reason why and not the only ones through all of history but St Paul's example here is important because St Paul realizes what we all must realize at some point is that again like I said earlier we can't do anything without God at least not anything that matters especially when it comes to the salvation of our souls and others we can't do it without God so what what Paul what St Paul realizes in this moment is if he was strong and without any suffering, he wouldn't necessarily need God, at least on the surface, right? Like if we went through this life with no ailments, no suffering, no times of weakness, as he describes, then we would it would be very unlikely that we would acknowledge the need for a savior, right? Because what would we need to be saved from? It, it, we would think we were on heaven on earth, right? And we just walk through here with no pain, no suffering, everything we wanted, right? So when we're brought low, that's when we know we need God. And that's when we can experience God, right? Because he lifts us up. That's what's so important about these times. And these, like what St. What Paul was talking about, whether it was, you know, whatever his thorn in the flesh was, like he realized that that was the conduit for God's grace in his life for God's love because he needed it he didn't want it he wanted it but he needed it you know he needed that so and and we see all the saints throughout history with similar stories right like you don't read a saint story and see wow they had it easy they had a really simple life right like Every life of a saint is one of suffering and sacrifice, right? They had their problems. They had their ailments and all kinds of different ones. But in every one of those situations, the difference between them and us is they acknowledged that it was a gift and that they needed that. And God blessed them with that suffering, with that problem, whatever it was, and that God was the only one that had the power and the grace and the love and the strength to give them to see it through to whatever the end was. And St. Paul is just a very early example of that and a great one in the Bible where he realizes when, when he's told my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Like that statement, my power, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. We have to be low. It's the same, you know, it's like the metaphor of God, the father and, and being a child like St. Therese of Lisieux, I must be a child. Right. And you know that as a mom, like your kids are fully dependent on you. Right. And that creates a very important relationship in your lives together you know if they came out of the womb and they didn't need you for nothing right like you'd be missing out on this whole important relationship that establishes so much in a person's entire life my relationship with my mom and dad has created who i am in so many ways right and it's been, and that started because i needed them and it's the same thing here we need god but we sometimes need something to make us realize it we all do because we have pride right we walk around thinking we can do it. Even if we try not to, it's hard. You know, we have that pride within us and we think that we can get through anything. And then you have, like I said, these new choose joy mentalities and this sort of twisted American dream where we can go out there and work hard and, and, and do it and succeed. And But again, inevitably, we're all at some point going to go through something where we're knocked down low. And those, again, those are the moments where we can actually really experience God. And experience His love when we actually feel Him lift us and feel His love and experience the grace that He has for us. You know, it's like another metaphor I use with the teens. It's like every sculpture was just some piece of rock, but somebody had to chisel away everything, right? And that's kind of how God's doing to us. And our suffering is is sort of that process of Him chiseling away the self, right? That that outer layer that's like the selfishness and the sin. Like our suffering is a way for God to sort of bang that out, and it hurts. It's hard. We don't like it in the moment necessarily. But again, the power of hindsight, we can look back and say, I wouldn't be who I am today without that. And that that's, again, that's where I am in my life. It sounds weird, but I can say, like, I'm thankful for what I've been through. And people are like, what do you mean? Like, you're saying you're thankful that, you know, Megan went through cancer and Brittany passed. I'm like, well, of course I would have rather like that suffering not happen. But like, looking back now, like, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. It was God shaping me into who I am. And also I'm confident in the existence of heaven and where everyone's going. So when you get to that point, death isn't so scary either. But sort of that's, I guess that's the long way of me just saying like St. Paul's example is so powerful because he says it so simply for when I am weak, then I am strong. He's not saying that he's strong. He's strong with God. In that moment of weakness, God gives him the strength. And that's the true strength. That's the true power that we can have. It all comes from God. Again, we can't do anything without God. Nothing.
0: Right. I love the imagery of stone and becoming a work of art that God is is making works of art, making saints out of all of us. Yeah. And it's so important to remember that if we can get through it, then you have the opportunity to look back in hindsight and say, if it weren't for this, Mm -hmm. then my life wouldn't be where I'm at today. Personal example, my husband and I struggled with infertility for a long time before we conceived my first son. And my husband had decided to join the army. He joined later, like right before the cutoff. Mm-hmm. And we found out we were pregnant with our first child. We were so excited. We even bumped up his date to go to boot camp so that he would be home in time for the birth of the baby. And the week he left for boot camp, we lost the baby. Wow. So he was gone for boot camp for six months while I was at home, like dealing with this and then not having him. And i that was when I was like so angry because that whole year was just nothing but like, mm-hmm. you know, they say bad things come in three. Well, I probably had about a dozen of them that whole year. But I remember going to confession and practically yelling at the poor priest about, you know, I don't understand why he would do this. You know, this isn't fair. Fast forward a few years. We're blessed with the children that we have. And at least three of my friends also went through miscarriages. And they all came to me for help and for encouragement and it literally hit me like a ton of bricks one day that if I hadn't had my miscarriage and if I hadn't been so open in sharing what I was going through they would have no one to go to Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and it was like a mind-blown moment Mm -hmm. of that's why I couldn't keep that baby Mm -hmm. because the baby was serving a larger purpose Mm -hmm. so that was that was part of my grief story but it's it's you're right the bad things that happen to us shape us and god uses them to mold us into who we're supposed to be
1: yeah well and and again another part of your story there was the fact that you like you said you went to confession right like you chose to go and participate in the church and the sacraments of the church right and that's very appropriate even if you did yell like god wants to work these things out with us and and god that's what i tell the young people like if you're mad at god you can yell at him anytime you want it's but, but it's important that you go and talk to god because that's the reality people talk oh well you know i don't can't believe in god because i don't understand why he would let this thing happen well, would you ever ask him Did you ever talk to god about it or are you just mad right like that's the reality it's like we do have those emotions in those moments and that's a very human thing and god gives us those emotions But we have to do the right thing with them. And that's, again, you take them to God. And that's what you did in that moment, which is another big part of that process was you didn't just quit. You went and you were angry and you dealt with it with God and the confessional, which is incredible, you know, because that's one of the many awesome parts of that, that sacrament. And the other thing I say, too, is talking about like suffering in general, like I always point out to people, everyone we look up to even in the secular world, right? Take saints and all the Catholic inspirational people out in the world. We, everyone we look up to suffered, right? Like we don't get inspired by somebody who's born into money and walks around successful, like the king of the world, right? We're inspired by people who made it right. Like that pursuit of happiness movie with Will Smith, right? Like that guy made it and, and ended up being this great dad and had this great life. But first he had to be brought to nothing, he had to sleep in a subway bathroom with his son crying, right? Like, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's very emotional. Yes. And uh, we look up to that, right? And that's, that's that was not a Christian movie, right? Like, that was a real experience. And there's countless stories. And even the fiction we write. This is what I tell the teens, too. Because I'm like, you watch these movies or read these books. Because I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction. And I love Marvel movies and all this stuff. And, like, they all suffered, right? Like, all the people we look up to, even in the stories we make up. The heroes didn't have it easy. Batman, right? Like Batman's Batman because he had to see his parents die when he was a kid, right? Like we made that story up and are inspired by it and everybody thinks Batman's cool and it's because he suffered, you know? Even in the the things that we make up, like everybody that inspires us, the leaders in our fiction, right? They didn't want to be leaders. They like were put into it and they were struggling and it was hard and they had some kind of trauma that people could relate to. It's exactly, That's why Jesus was born where he was born, right? I mean, if Jesus was born some Pharaoh's kid, rich, walking around, died peacefully in his sleep, we wouldn't still be talking about him today. We're inspired by Jesus because he suffered like we do. And that's, that, that's everything, you know? He suffered like we did. And we can relate to that. So again, to your point, the friends that you know that had miscarriages could relate to you. You were that that vessel for God's love in that moment. And that gives purpose to that tragedy which that is the opportunity for healing as well. That moment you had was a healing moment. That's how God heals us, right? It's not like he's just going to come down and just touch you and all of a sudden you get over it. He has this plan that has to play out and you experience that. And I experience it all the time because again, I use, I try to use my story and the things I've gone to, through to help inspire others and, and and help people understand that they're not the only ones that have gone through this kind of thing or going through it or will, you know, it's... Life is hard, but God has a plan for it, right? I mean, that's kind of a cliche thing to say, but it's true. We have to know that and trust in that. And I think that's the part that's in the moment that I was talking about earlier. Like when I chose to go to church and you chose to stay involved in the church and go to confession, like you described, it's like, those are moments where we don't understand it, but we're trusting God anyway. And then his full story plays out over time. And that's when healing can come.
0: Right, right. That's very, very, very true. We touched on this a little bit, but one of the biggest arguments I've come across is if if God is so good, then why does he allow bad things to happen? So truthfully, if God is so good, why does he allow bad things to happen?
1: Because he loves us. I was looking forward to this question. This is the big question, right? This is the thing that people run away from the church from or don't enter the church, right? The easiest way to explain it is just to start by explaining how God's will works, right? So God's will works in two ways. He either makes things happen, like when he created the earth or certain miracles and things like that. Like he, he whatever, just poof, and the thing happens. That's the easy one to understand, right? Because we can imagine that. Like God's, God you know, created the birds and poof, there were birds, right? But the way his other way his will works is by allowing things to happen. And this is the one that people have trouble with and that we kind of have to spend some time chewing on because that's the question. Why would God allow this to happen? And like I said, kind of a funny, snarky response because he loves us. Again, that's an easy thing to say, but the reality is, is part of it's free will. You know, he has to give us free will, which means people, that bad things are going to happen. But in reality, the suffering that he allows, And this is the trust part, but we have to understand that there is some greater good that comes of it. So he allows these bad things to happen. Because again, what we touched on earlier, like these sufferings are opportunities for us to be brought low, for us to really understand that we need God. And like I said, with the metaphor, with the statue to get chiseled away, all that stuff. Because I can tell you after everything I've been through with, with my first wife dying and Megan getting cancer, I can tell you, I don't worry about things like I used to. I don't stress like I used to. I still do some, but I'm very different just psychologically in ways that are better. Like, you know, I'm not so attached to things. I don't worry about success in the way most people do, you know, because I, I, I've been faced first with how short life can be. So again, all these kind of and that's just examples of my life, but there's all these kinds of blessings that, that come from these things, but they take time and we have to trust But in reality, like I said, that that second way God's will works by allowing bad things to happen, it is for this greater good. It is for some good that we may not understand in the moment. Like I said, hindsight is easier, but God allows this suffering. There always is some greater good. And like I said, every time we are inspired by somebody, they've gone through that. You know, we can look back, like you said and I said, like at our lives and and we see the graces that have come. You know, from these things, the, the the changes that they put in our lives that have helped us to help others, but also draw us closer. And again, the whole reason, you know, Jesus came down as a man on earth and for him to be fully man, he had to suffer. And he suffered in many ways. He suffered. He suffered grief. He suffered physical pain. He suffered in every way, and that's so he could be relatable to us. So in in Jesus Christ, we can see that God knows that. Like God knows that this life is hard. Was it His original intent? I mean, you know, we're the one that chose sin back in the garden. So, but He did give us free will. You know, so I'd I'd rather suffer some than be a slave. You know, because the opposite of free will is slavery. So. Kind of jumping all around all over the place but you know it's it's really easy for me to sit here and say it like i said in hindsight like i've gone through these things i can look back on them peacefully in a good place but i lived through it and can see like the worst things that i've been through as a 20 i was 27 year old widower you know um that was for the greater good of god in many ways um so I can only stand here in my testimony and say that. But uh, but that is the reality is God allows these things to happen because everything God wills, whether he does it directly or allows it to happen is for some greater good. But we have to have the trust and the patience to wait to see what that is. And some of us don't. We don't see what it is maybe, but somebody else might. So we, again, that gets back into the trust. But that's that's sort of like the I guess that's the easiest answer I can give to that. But it's, it's again, it, it all requires trust in the end, trusting God.
0: Absolutely. And it really, it really puts other things into perspective. Like you said, like you have a greater appreciation for mm-hmm. life because you've seen how short yeah. it can be. And I always tell my husband, like, well, we got through 20, we got through 2014. yeah, We got through boot camp. We got through this. We got through deployment. We can mm-hmm. pretty much get through anything. So, yeah, that's, that's a really great, a really great point. What has reminded you that God was good in your times of suffering?
1: The people around me. God works through us, right? Like sometimes we're praying for miracles and we're praying for, like I said, we want God to come out of the clouds and say, I'm here. I love you. But like, we know, we hear that all the time. You know, we're the hands and feet of Jesus, but we're also the the hugs of Jesus and the nice cards of Jesus and the friendly phone calls and text messages of gee, like we're all that we are all of that for other people and for me that's where it came from through through all the suffering I've gone through I got through it because like I described like the people of Victorious Faith Fellowship like the love that they showed me at that time is what got me through and that was the love of God it was the love of them but it was coming from God right my family I had people reach out to me I hardly knew and just I had support you know when Megan went through her cancer thing same thing like we had support from everywhere, prayers, and just people checking in on us and just talking to us, and people who have gone through things giving us encouragement, things like that. And my family, and you know, just the people around us is what helped us get through that. You know, and and again, our prayer life. There's a little more to it than that. You know, our prayer life, our, our our trusting in God, and you know, participating in church through all those things, and. But in reality, for me at least, God's love flowed through all these wonderful people. And, and again, when when I went through with with Megan's journey, I was I'm Catholic at that time and having the sacraments, having these awesome priests in my life that I become friends with. Um, just just people that the people in the spiritual direction program were wonderful, like Carol Morell and Sister Jerilyn themselves, the the leaders of the program, like because that that ended up in my reflection papers right like we wrote reflection papers every month and of course that that part of my my journey was in that And, and they helped me with that a lot too so it was just people everywhere that just lived out that true gospel life of just loving others and they saw me and Megan suffering and we were just surrounded with love and again if people could see that it would be a lot easier for people to believe in God if they'd understand where that comes from like Every time, you know, when people are nice and they show love, it's always God's love. Even if they're not Christians necessarily, like it's still God created them. He loves them and that love comes through. So, you know, if people could understand that we are the hands and feet of Jesus and God even deeper, they would understand and be able to see the miracles of God even more every day.
0: That's such a great. A great point and a great reminder that they might not be Catholic, but anytime they're showing love, it's an expression of God's love for all Absolutely. of us. I love that. Another thing I've heard a lot about is offering up your suffering. And again, this is one of those things that when somebody said it to me when I was in the midst of it, it was just <laughs> not what I wanted to hear. Yep. But there is a way to suffer well. Mm-hmm. How can we actually embrace our suffering, large or small, you know, whether that's going through, losing a loved one, or just, God, I have to do another load of dishes. (laughs) How can we use it as an opportunity?
1: So this is where the spiritual direction comes in a little bit. Everything that we do in this life is a response to God. God is constantly calling us, constantly. His communication is always coming towards us, right? His love, his grace, right? We're the ones that put up shields and blocks that sort of block it, right? God never stops loving us, no matter what. And everything we say and do, like I said, is a response to that. So in our prayer lives, when we have an active and involved prayer life where we start our day with God, we spend time with God throughout the day, it becomes easier sometimes for us to keep that in mind in those moments. So those moments, and I, I like your example of the dishes, because we think of these huge suffering moments like we've talked about, you know, like what I've gone through, what you've gone through, but like sometimes the moment of suffering is when you're tired and like, I got to do another load of laundry. Like I get it. Like, you know, or whatever, something, you know, these normal day to day things, but those normal day, normal day to day things are all opportunities for us to grow closer to God and to be an example of it. Cause there's two sides to this. Cause suffering well not only can benefit us, but can benefit those around us. So if you have to do another load of dishes and you just start slam bam and dishes around and banging cabinets, that's not only affects you, but that affects the people around you. So suffering, well, it's for everybody, but the ways we can suffer. Well, like I said, is remember that, that everything we do is in a response. So like when, when I go home tonight and cook dinner, because I do pretty much all the cooking, I, have, I can get grouchy with that sometimes. So I don't feel like it, you know? And I'm not even cooking for kids, it's just me and Megan. But, you know, remembering in those moments that this is a response to God. I'm taking care of my family, right? I'm feeding my wife, myself. I'm good at cooking. I normally like cooking. This is an opportunity to express God's love even more, even in a small way. Same with doing dishes, doing laundry, like all those little things that can be annoying, washing the car, getting the oil change, whatever. Now, that's easy to say sitting here, but that's why our prayer life is so important. That's why understanding that our walk with God is every moment of every day. It's not just when we sit down in our favorite prayer chair or our cushion or whatever our prayer spot is, right? Like those are the moments we may intentionally pray. Those may be the moments that we do our certain routine that we feel called to do. But every moment of our life is prayer. Because like I said, every moment of our life, we are responding to God's call to us. But if we have that routine, if we have that time throughout the day where we intentionally spend time with God, then it makes it easier in those moments to remember that. So when you're frustrated because whatever happened in your house or at work or whatever, like, you should have not very long ago come off of a time of like intentionally praying, intentionally spending time with God. So again, it becomes easier for you to to remember that in those moments, you know, that's why regular prayer and having that regular prayer life throughout the day and the, and even some sort of routine is so important because then when the world or, or God's will throws in a monkey wrench, it's an opportunity for us to shine, which again, it's not only good for us, but it's good for those around you, because you know, You know, if you're in a bad mood, your kids can tell, right? Like I knew every time my mom was in a bad mood and nothing wrong with my mom, she's great. But like, you can tell. I knew when my dad was mad, right? And sometimes that's good. Mom and dads need to be mad. Kids need to be afraid a little bit. (laughs) But in general, like just a bad attitude isn't helping anybody. So we suffer well because our, I guess it's like our intention, right? Like the intention we go into things. If we go go into things with the intention of, Trusting God, loving God, and and being an example of that to others, then we can suffer well. And the other part of it, I'll say too, is that we have to be careful with suffering as Catholics, because when we start understanding of how when we start understanding how good suffering is for us and how it's a blessing, it can also our pride can take advantage of that too. So we have to be careful, because part of suffering well is also not waving your suffering flag like, oh, I had such a hard this and that, and oh, this was so hard, but I saw through it. And you know you you get into these cliche statements, I had such a hard week, but God saw me through it. And I'm like, that's cool to be that example, but we have to be careful because there's a fine line there where we're sort of like pridefully waving that like, I love God and I did such a great job. It's no, you didn't. God did through you. So our response to suffering has to be appropriate as well, where we're not like, proud of ourselves because god helped us like we just have to love god trust god and know he is everything and and we are nothing without him that that to me is suffering well
0: right right and you don't want to fall into that trap of of victimhood Uh, oh woe is me but yeah just understanding that god works through you not not the other way around i love that is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners who may currently be going through their own tragedy
1: yeah um we're not meant to do these things alone and I don't mean, obviously, when I'm talking about God this whole time, so we know we're supposed to do these things through God. But like I said, God works through people, right? People would see a lot more miracles in their lives if they understood that the people in their lives are the hands and feet voices of God, right? So if you're going through a time of suffering, you need to pray. You need to go to mass. You need to go to confession. You need to do all those things with you and God, right? but we're not meant to go through this stuff alone we need help we need other people in our lives so again kind of a shameless plug for my ministry of spiritual direction that's a good place where spiritual direction can come into our lives and again spiritual direction is not therapy it's not counseling we're dealing with matters of your spiritual life not your psychology Um, although those things come into play at times but Spiritual direction is that where we're trying to help you discern God in your life to direct your spirit to him, right? To become the saints that we're called to be. And through these times of suffering is, a, is an important time where, where we need these things. It was for me because I was meeting with my spiritual director through the whole time of Megan going through cancer. And, and And I dealt with that in spiritual direction. I talked to my director about it every month and expressed my fears. And, and, and he was that, that voice of God in my life that got me through it. So my encouragement is seek help from somebody who can, who you can trust as a director, as, as somebody who can guide you, but particularly somebody who's sort of an outside. So it's why it's important for like your spiritual director to not be your spouse or your friend, because you want them to have a full outside perspective with no bias, right? So in those times of suffering, I, I greatly like that's a time where if you've been considering spiritual direction in your life, that's can be can be a good time to step into it and just get that help. Because, again, God has things he wants to say to you, and it might be through another person that it gets said. And and, and a formal spiritual director is can be a very good opportunity to to receive that. It's what it's meant for. I mean, there's a lot of saints who have said over the years, like, if you want to go to heaven when you die, you can't do it alone. Like, spiritual direction has been a part of the church since the very beginning. And unfortunately, people don't know about it as much as, as they should, but it is very important. So that that's my encouragement is seek spiritual direction in those times, even if it's just as simple as meeting with your pastor you know like when you're suffering get help from people that you that you know and trust and 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 hopefully that person is your pastor or the vicar at your church or a sister you know or even it can be just a spiritual person they don't have to be priests and religious i'm a spiritual director i'm i'm a married person so we all know somebody in our lives that we look up to spiritually usually so those are the kind of people we can reach out to um in times of suffering to help us and again be that that voice of god to help guide us and then the other thing since i'm shamelessly plugging things is i you know my main uh, my main calling is youth minister, right? I do youth ministry with kids from fifth through seventh grade now and eighth through twelfth and also young adults. So a big reason why I got through what I got through when my first wife Brittany died was because I was a part of a church, but I wasn't just going to church on Sundays. I was going to Bible studies and hanging out with them. We would go out to eat and we would go to each other's house for picnics and gaming groups. And like I was involved with these Christian friends in multiple ways. That's my other encouragement to people is you need to find that that outlet in your lives. Formal spiritual direction is very good and important, but that's not a day-to-day thing. That's like a once a month you might meet with that person, which is good. But we need those influences and those people in our lives regularly. So most churches have some kind of ministry. Not all churches have youth ministry, unfortunately. Um, I can see now I, I've gotten some calls from some people looking for advice now that we are out of covid a good bit and things like that. Churches I've seen are are looking at trying to get youth and young adult ministries back up off the ground again. So, you know, I'd really encourage people, like if if anybody listening who's a parent or a grandparent or knows a young person, like we worry about the future right now and everybody says the world's so crazy and kids are so confused and kids have been confused since the beginning of time. It's a little more confusing now, but it really is important for kids to be involved in some kind of like a youth ministry of some sort. You know, most Catholic kids go through religious education and that's good, but there's a difference between learning about God and, and getting to know God personally and and a youth ministry and a young adult ministry as well is going to help with that. And you're going to do it with other people. So, you know, that's the other thing that I would encourage people to do in today's world, because I don't worry about the future so much because I see every day young people who know God and love God and understand Jesus and, and who he is to them. And it gives me a lot of hope. And I think other people can, would really benefit from that as well in their lives if they would, they would really prioritize that in their kids' lives and just share it. You know, like I said, everybody knows a young person. So just if, if, if you want them to be attached to their church, then youth ministry or young adult ministry is the way to do that. So again, that's just a plug for my ministry there, but I strongly encourage people that to get involved in whatever ministry group is within their age range at their church, because it just helps us through the hard times and the good times. And it's just fun. So,
0: No, I love that. And I 100% agree. When I was growing up, the church I went to did not have a youth program. So I went to a Protestant program because Mm -hmm. it was the only way for me to kind of get involved. But you're absolutely right. You can't just learn about God. You need to know him. You need to have a relationship with him. And that is a fantastic way. Yes, to do it. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much yeah, for taking the time to talk with me today. And I hope whoever needed to hear this had a chance to hear it and that they don't feel so alone anymore.
1: They definitely are not alone. Thank you
0: so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org DAC and clicking the Make a Donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.